We're in Romans chapter 1, verse 12. So remember, the apostle wants to impart some ministry and gifts, his apostolic duty or calling, we say his office. He was recognized by the apostles and elders of the Jerusalem church as the main ministry or apostle to the Gentile world. They felt the necessity to stay in Jerusalem and Judea. And they did mostly, most of them stayed before the destruction of the temple, or a few of them were martyred, even Paul and Peter, a couple of years before. As we've said before, the historical records tell us that Thomas went to India and Philip down into parts of Africa, and I forget where the other ones went. So they did go forth, but not until the destruction of the Jewish system, which God ordained. It was his punishment on them, and he wanted the apostles. For 40 years, they gave witness. Even after they killed the Lord of glory, they stayed there and maintained a church there, a small, what we say, gatherings, and they were persecuted several times, but they felt no need and no calling to leave. They were the apostles, basically, to the Jewish, the ones that had converted, and they were not responsible for the judgment that the Sadducees and the Pharisees brought on themselves, and God predicted. As we said right during the second wave, when Titus was besieged in Jerusalem, he had trouble up in Syria, so he withdrew his army and went up to quench this problem. So there was a several-month period where the people in Jerusalem could come in and leave. And there was twice as many, some believe up to a million and a quarter people during the siege. But during this time, the apostles, the prophets, the elders, they were warned by their own prophets to leave the city. God did not want them judged with rebellious Jews. So even historic Josephus, he basically became a traitor to the Jews, but he was highly regarded by the government of the Romans. He tried to convince the Jews to surrender and work with them, and they wouldn't have nothing to do with it. The fanaticals thought that God was going to deliver them. Well, he didn't deliver them because they were wicked, and God was fulfilling prophecy, which he warned through Christ. And so he, in his writings, speak of the sect, they called the a Christian sect of Judaism, and he spoke of several thousand of them several weeks before Titus came back, leaving the city. One night, they say, he said, he quotes, that the gates of the city opened on their own accord, and the Christian Jews took it as a sign it was time for them to leave because God was opening up the city for the Romans as a punishment. So they were warned and they left the city at this time. So they felt a need to stay there, and God wanted them there. For 40 years more, he was a witness through the apostles. Remember, 7-8% of the Roman world, of about 60, 70 million people, were Jewish. 
And they came to Jerusalem, many of them, during the feast days and the Day of Atonement. And many Jews living throughout the empire would go back and forth, and it was great commerce in this area. So they were not without witness. And they would take back the tales of what happened with this man called Jesus and the apostles. And God, for 40 years, that's a number of probation. He gave them a time and a warning to the ones that weren't in Jerusalem. And then later we will see that Paul, in his ministry to the Gentiles, wherever he went, he spent the first two or three Sabbaths ministering in the Jewish synagogues. So God uh, was wanting this witness. But after the destruction of Jerusalem, we don't hear much about any ministries in particular going to the Jews. They were treated like the Gentiles. Everyone had to come through Jesus Christ. So he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He felt to go to this place. Now, we forget that Rome had no apostle there and did not start it by apostles, basically. They were either the Jews that went back and the proselytes from the day of Pentecost, some were saved, or they were some converts by Paul's converts. So here we're talking 10, 15 years later, they've not gone there. Paul's not been here. And he's heard about their great faith in the Lord and and throughout the Christian world. And so he wants to go and and he's heard rumors of faults and certain things. And he's going to straighten out, we should say, their theology. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. He needs no one's permission to do this. He's called by God to do this. And remember, he had been preaching and ministering for a decade and Several years before, the Lord had made him go up to 12 apostles and elders and submit his ministry for the approval of the foundation apostles and prophets. He himself said, they added nothing to me. I think he felt he knew as much as they did or more. Well, maybe he did, but Christ told him to go up there. unless, And he said, unless I run in vain, if the foundational church does not approve of his ministries to the Gentile world, they would not accept him. They would not accept him at all or his ministry. And the Lord wanted it done this way. So it was the Lord who told him to go up and submit. And they validated his ministry from the apostles and elders. They recognized him as the apostle, main apostle to the Gentile nations. That was his calling. By the time Christian world is Gentiles, they're not Jews. And the longer it goes on, by the time the Apostle John's last ministry at about A.D. 95, probably 90% or more of the true Christian were Gentiles. They were not Jewish converts. We do not hear any more special messages to go to them Their probation period is over. God has abolished the Jewish system, the law, and all the other things. He's brought them to an end and instituted what we call the period of grace or the church age. Many words are used for it. So in verse 12, he wants to go 
and impart gifts to them. And he says, we may be encouraged together with you while we're among you. So he's speaking of his workers with him. Each of us by the other's faith, by yours and mine. He expected in the body of Christ, not only to minister, but some form be edified and ministered by the body of Christ. And so that's why he tells them, I will come to impart, but you'll uh, help too. And what did he always ask the churches that they pray for him, that he would have boldness to witness to the nations and to stand before the governmental leaders and to bear much persecution. So he asked this several times and of all of them that he needed boldness from the Lord and he asked them to pray for this. So he was not annihilating uh, by himself. He had a ministry and he knew that they had ministries, okay? So he expected an exchange of gifts between them giving and mercy gifts is what they would give him. They would support him in areas that he went to as an evangelist. He did the work of an evangelist and a prophet. Remember, the apostle had the fivefold ministries. Those under, often other prophets did not. All of them had to be gifted teachers. The sad thing is we have people preaching the gospel that don't know the word. They have no business preaching the gospel. God has called no one to win souls, and that's it. Even the evangelist had to help lay foundation, and if he was going to move on, he had to get people in there to begin to disciple these people. He didn't leave them by themselves. He didn't say like today, oh, at least they're saved. There was no concept of just being saved or just being a believer. You were a disciple from the time you were born again, or you are a backslider. There is no, uh, he's my savior and he's not my Lord. These are demonic teachings. There is no gospel of just believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's a heresy. And that's why these people are often are not saved and the ones that might don't last too long because the minister's The preachers don't know the Word of God. They have no business preaching. They're baby Christians and novices. They have no place. The true gospel teaches repentance and belief. Today, we have a lot of belief and nobody mentions repentance, and so they're not saved. According to the gospel, they're not saved. They come to the Lord, just receive Jesus. He'll save you and be your Lord. They mention nothing about discontinue your sin. That's repentance. So a person that confesses Jesus and stays in his adultery fornication, he's not a baby Christian. He's not even a Christian. He's got the false gospel. So the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he began to minister was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't say believe. You'll find it's to repent and then believe. They go together. You do not separate them. Again, as we've said, it's like faith and works. True faith has to have spiritual works. If it doesn't have spiritual works, it's a false faith. It's a false Christianity. Okay? So we have to understand that's much of what's preached today. So many of these people have never really been saved. And some of them, if they were baby Christians and didn't pursue the word of God and the Lord, they fall away because they don't have people around them telling them the truth. 
And so it makes it very difficult. But if they're sincere with the Lord and study scripture, the Holy Spirit will enlighten them, even if they came to the Lord through a heretic or a false shepherd. So we have to understand that most of the gospel is not the gospel. We'll get back into that later. So he wanted prayer that he could withstand the satanic persecution. That was his stake in the flesh. Some think it was just his eye problems. No, it was a, it was an extraordinary measure of demonic activity that I don't think, in general, the other apostles had. And the Lord allowed it to come upon him to keep him humble. Paul had the tendency toward pride. And so when he asked the Lord to remove it, the Lord said, my grace, which is my strength, is sufficient for you. So he said he gloried in his infirmities that the power of Christ would rest on him. We don't see, it's not mentioned, it could have been, that the other apostles bore that kind of stake in the flesh. He had a unique ministry, a unique apostolic calling to the Gentiles, and God was forsaking the Jewish system and the ritual and the temple worship. All that has been abolished. And so Paul helped lay the foundations. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, he built on the foundation of the prophets and the Lord. He tells us what the gospel is to the Gentiles, where many of the Jews didn't fully understand this. So he, he straightens them out. When John came along 20, 30 years and wrote his revelation, he tells us things that Paul never knew, but he did not ever add a new gospel. Because even Paul said, if an angel from heaven or a man comes preaching another gospel, let him be accursed. So the foundation was laid of what Christianity is. So John did not add to that. But he tells us about the end time. And in his epistle, which is one of the, all of them are good, is so practical like James, he's going to explain to us what this theology and grace and faith produces. And as I've said before, he never emphasizes faith and grace in his epistle. But he tells us seven or eight things that tells you whether you're a Christian or you're not. If you do certain things or don't do, you're not a Christian. So he's telling us, if you've got the true faith and grace, this is what you'll do. One, for instance, says if you hate your Christian brother, you're a murderer, and you know that eternal life is not in you. So he says, he's basically saying, I don't care when you were born again or where. If you begin to hate your true Christian brother, you're not a Christian. He says, because a murderer, you're a murderer. If you hate them without cause, or will not be reconciled and forgiven, the church was to throw you out, disown you, count you as a wicked person. So uh, he uses the practical side. He tells us people need to read that more instead of just theology. And even Paul himself says, if you don't obey righteousness, you're not under grace. Shall we sin because we're under grace? He said it's who you obey is who your master is whether it's Christ and obeying righteousness or the flesh and sin obeying death. So he makes it very plain. If you claim to be in faith and grace, you better be obeying a righteousness. 
And if not, you're not a Christian. Very simple. Okay. James and Peter basically say the exact same thing in different tones. Okay. So he's asking for boldness. And remember, even Jesus and his three and a half years or so of ministry, when he went around with apostles, many women, Christian wives and so forth, they followed them and ministered and mended their clothes and fed them. And some of the apostles and disciples were their husbands and their sons and fathers. So even Jesus, him and his 12 apostles didn't sit out and mend their clothes every day. They didn't go around just looking for food every day. They were ministered to by the women and the believers, other disciples. They felt called to do this. And so people forget this, okay? Verse 13, now he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I've planned to come to you, but I've been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So even if he did not establish the Roman church, he has responsibility and they have obligations to him. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. So that's why he says this. I'm coming to get fruit from among you, as I do in all the churches. See, he said, I go to all the churches. I'm going to come and check you out and make sure I've heard such good things about you, but I've heard some conflicts and things, like he heard in the church of Corinth. And he said, I will come and we'll work these things. I'll tell you what the truth is and what the foundation is, and I'll correct any people moving into heresy or false teaching. So that was the job of the apostle, was to lay the foundations, and later on, his special calling, to check the foundations with not only the churches he started, but whom his workers, he had other people that were discipled unto him and went and evangelized and started home groups. So he was, in a sense, a spiritual father to all of them, of the Gentile world. So he's saying, I don't want you to think that I did not concern myself with you. I planned, but was prevented. So he was either prevented by opposition, but more likely not God's timing or will. At one time, he was forbidden to go down into, I think it was Macedonia, but then later he went into the area. So he was being led of the Spirit. The Spirit saw no need for him at that particular time, and then finally give him the time to go down there. And they, of course, being of the Gentile world, had heard about Paul, the apostle, and who he was. Okay. So he was the apostle to the nations. That's what it means to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world. And he wished to see or have some fruit among his ministry, his followers that began other ministries. He wanted to check these things out because often it wasn't too long that you would have heresies and false teachings mingle in to the churches. And Paul himself said, heresies must be so we can prove who's got the real goods. He said, so it's okay. We'll deal with them when we come. And the devil always sends those 
to try to take the word that's been sown away uh, or to pervert it. That's the world we live in. That's the warfare of the Christian, what he has to contend with to stay faithful and remain an overcomer with the Lord. So he was called and responsible to them, whether they liked it or not. Second Corinthians tells us when he was given his some of his credentials for being an apostle, his sufferings, he said, and all the care of the churches. And that's an amazing statement. He meant all of the Gentile world, the churches were his responsibility. And he was praying for them and interceding. And the scripture says daily. And now you can understand why Paul said, I thank God. I speak in tongues more than you all do. He was praying in mysteries. And he would understand some of the things he prayed and some things the Spirit would not give. Uh, He would be praying for things that he didn't need to know all the facts about because the Spirit was moving him. When a person speaks in tongues, they speak to God. It's their Spirit praying under the unction or help of the Holy Spirit. So he privately prayed in tongues. He said more than anybody did. Isn't that an astounding statement? Here he implies even the other apostles, he spoke in tongues more than they did because he had a greater burden with all the nations. They were just burdened with Judea and Jerusalem at this time, okay? Later, they will, some of them will go elsewhere and some of them will be martyred before then. So uh, he wants them to know that I've always wanted to come and check on you and see what's going on see about your uh, conversions and your spiritual growth and see if I can add something to your Christian uh, walk and responsibility. So this is what he wanted to do. And Peter and the elders and the main of the 12, they stayed in Jerusalem and Judea, and they were still a witness for almost 40 years. Most of them did not go out They may have made an occasional trip somewhere, but as a whole, that's where they lived. That's where they stayed. They did not roam around the world, okay? But Paul also, and even the church recognized it, the foundation church, he was called to the Jew also. See, he wasn't just a Gentile. When Jesus called him, he said, I'll send you to the nations and I'll send you to your own people. So he's going to like we say, give the true theology, lay the foundation and put it all together that's going to make it easier to understand as what his gift was. And Peter calls his writing scripture. And he recognized that many perversions and heresies were Judaizers and false Christians using some of Paul's teachings on faith and grace and perverting them. Peter said twisting, torture, It means out of proportion, it said, to their own damnation. Now, that's the Apostle Peter speaking here. He says they do as they do all Scripture. Well, so they referred to some of the writings because a lot of the writings have not been finished. So when Peter's talking about Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament too and that which goes into the New Testament. The law and certain moral principles do not change. A person, if he's a Christian, keeps the Ten Commandments. 
The seventh one, Paul expresses to us, is mainly a Jewish Sabbath keeping that the Gentile did not have to observe. He said they could observe every day is the same. And if they got into days and Sabbath, he said, he, he said, I'm afraid of you. It was like they're eating and drinking. He was saying Jews could keep doing certain of the ordinances as James did and the priests that were converted, but they knew that it had not saved them and it did not add to their spiritual walk. It was a witness to the Jew that they were truly converted and upholding God's principles. But Paul said, this is not for the Gentiles nation. And he says, and they're not to be circumcised. See, the Judaizers wanted them all circumcised because if they got circumcised because they had to, they were saying the law was better than Christ. And that's why Paul would not allow it. But when he brought certain people to minister with him in the temple area, he allowed them to be circumcised if they were Gentile believers or if they had not been circumcised, because he wanted to be a witness to the Jews. He didn't want to immediately cause problems. He says, I, to the Jew, I become a Jew. But he knew, and he taught, he said, if you feel obligated to be circumcised, then you're under the whole law. He's basically saying that you brought yourself back under the curse. So that's why he gave them the liberty and God did not want the Gentiles. Now, during the great millennium, after the Antichrist is uh, destroyed and God sets up the thousand, the Jews will be the chief nation, Israel, and they will observe the Sabbath and some of the feast during this time. And if the Gentile nations do not come up and send ambassadors and honor the Lord, they won't get no rain. So there will be consequences during that time. But now we live in an eternal rest, the Sabbath. We cease from our own works because God does it. Okay, that's what he said. He says they cease from their own labors as God did when he ceased creating the world. We depend on the Lord. We do not add the human labor in itself has no value. Only as it's joined to the spirit does anything have any value. And Paul not only ministered to the Jew and was an apostle, as Barnabas was later considered an apostle, like we said, at least 22 people, another 10 or 12 other than the 12, were considered apostles. Apollos was considered an apostle, okay? And so being the apostle to the Jews also, he felt an obligation that whatever areas he went in to later foundations for Christianity, he went to the Jewish synagogue and reasoned with them for two or three Sabbaths. And in most cases, at the end, they throw him out, but he always seemed to have a few converts, and they were put out. Well, they joined the Christian Gentiles. Gentiles, they didn't know much about the law, and so you can see God's wisdom. They began to teach the new converts, what Christianity was based on, the law of Moses and the prophets. See, they can add all of this because the Gentiles, they could get saved and come to the Lord without lowering all the processes that brought the Lord about. Okay? So he wanted them to know these things. The Lord wanted them. He says they have treasure out of the old and the new when they do this. Okay? 
So that's why he went to Jewish synagogues. Because some of the Jews in the synagogues had not rejected Christ. Some have heard about certain things over the many years. And some were righteous according to the law, like Paul was. And then once the gospel was presented, if they rejected it, they were no longer righteous. See, that was the light that they had. And God wanted them to have the full light. It was their privilege as faithful Jews under the covenant to get the promises and the prophecies. And so those who accepted it did what the apostles originally did. When Jesus called them to be his disciples, they just moved from the old system to the new. There was no great change of uh, repenting or anything. They had already repented. John the Baptist taught repentance, and that's why so many people came to Jesus. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come to him. He prepared them. So if you repent and turn to the Lord or back to the law, you can see the truth. If you stay in your sins, the Holy Spirit blinds you to the truth. See, that's the law of the Spirit. People don't understand that. Most intellectuals, most brilliant people, God hides the truth from them. They think he's trying to get them saved every day. He's not if they don't come his way. And so if they don't come through the foolishness of preaching, he puts a veil over them. And Jesus said, I thank you, Father, that you hid these things from the wise and brilliant of the world and revealed them to the simple. And that's what he did. So all of those that listened to John the Baptist, they freely turned to the Lord when they heard the message. If they were baptized by John, they set their house in order. They bore fruit. And when the Jewish priests, some of them came to be baptized because they thought it was popular because John was uh, popular with the masses at the time, he yelled at them and told them they were hypocrites and fault. He said, go on out and show me some fruit. And then come back and I will baptize you. He didn't tolerate this, see? And the same uh, priests and Pharisees that could not receive Jesus when he came. Their own sin blinded them. They could not understand because the Lord blinded them. See, if they don't come God's way, you don't get the truth. And that's why most of them, Jesus said, you will not believe who I am. And he said, you will die in your sins. He was saying this to the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were brilliant. And many of them knew parts of the law didn't do them no good because the Holy Spirit didn't enlighten them. And that was Paul's avenue before he was saved. He upheld the law. He said he was blameless concerning the law. He thought the Jewish sect were idolaters and Jesus was a false prophet. And that's why he was kicking against the goats because the Spirit was trying to deal with him. And so finally, the Lord appears to him and tells him. And he said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. He said, that's the reason I obtained mercy. I didn't willfully defy God. I believed the law in the degree that I had it. And he was an uprighteous person under the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees, okay? And that's why the high priest sent him out to capture the Christians. He was... Uh, only one that we know of that was given special letters by the high priest because he was such a zealous Jew, okay? Then we go back to 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
okay? His preaching and teaching, he saw as an obligation. As he told us, a curse on me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe unto me. If I do it against my will, I have to do it anyway, he said. But if I do it willingly, I get a reward. So that was the call of a prophet. That's how it was given to him. There's no choice in the matter, okay? And so we see this. And so as he went into the world, which was the Roman world and the surrounding areas, Jesus would go into all the world, and that was the world to him. Generations later, they actually did go into all of the world that they didn't even know existed for how long, a thousand years or more, before they knew there was America or the southern parts of Africa or even the far, some parts of the Far East, they didn't even know existed, okay? So we see then that he said, I'm under obligation to everyone. The Greeks were considered the highest cultural and intelligent of the Gentile nations. That's why he says them. I was sent to them. But he said, I was sent to the barbarian. The Greeks, later the Romans took it up, but the Greeks thought that anybody who was not a Greek was a barbarian. He was not cultured. He was ignorant. To a degree, this was true. So he said, I'm sent to all classes to offer the gospel to all of them. The gospel is to go to all of them. That's why Jesus came, to redeem those that will be redeemed of the nation. So they were called foolish. It simply meant they were not learned. They were not cultured. Many of them were barely literate. Many of them were wicked nations and very barbaric in their manners and their livings. But eventually... Paul said, we got to go to him. Verse 15. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to the Christians. And he says, I'm coming to preach the gospel. The gospel is not just getting saved. That's a lie. Preaching the gospel is not just being born again. That's just the beginning. That's why I have so many false teaching. Just say this little prayer and you don't have to worry. Well, you will worry when you're in the lake of fire for eternity. That is not the gospel. We'll find out a little more later what he says. The Lord has to say about this. So he's saying my burden and duty or calling is to preach the gospel and I'm coming to Rome also. The preaching of the gospel, like we says, is not preaching people to be saved. We had very popular ministers, supposedly had 100,000 people saved. They didn't teach true discipleship. They didn't teach often any repentance. It was just a mental assent belief. Say something with your lips and you're a Christian. False Christianity. That's why we live in such a dark time now. Much religion, but very few true Christianity among them. So Jesus said what? He said an astounding word go into all the world. That's the 12 he spoke to at first, the disciples. And he said, make disciples, okay? He didn't say make believers. Well, when you believe on the Lord, you begin to be a disciple, and you're a disciple until you leave this world. You are maturing and growing in the wisdom and insight into the Lord. So that's what he's talking about. Make disciples. 
those being trained and mature. That's what a disciple is. So he wasn't interested in getting people to say, oh, Jesus is the Lord. Well, he could make a devil acknowledge that. It didn't save him, though. And so we see that the evil of this once saved, always saved doctrines and so forth, it counters the gospel of truth. It counters the gospel of Christ. It's a false Christ. It's a false religion that emphasizes a mental ascent faith while you can still license yourself to sin without repenting. Uh, that's what happened in the third century when Constantine decided to become a Christian. His mother had become one, and he made the whole world Christian overnight. Isn't that wonderful? The whole world was made Christian. And not none of them changed. They kept their own old religion, just mixed a little Christian doctrine with them. They ain't no Christianity. That's why we have the Roman Catholic Church, okay? It's a false form of Christianity. So he said, make disciples. Okay, let's take a break right now.